Um, over the next seven weeks, we're going to go through this series of Freeway, of trying to capture the freedom that Christ has given to us that we often neglect and don't take advantage of. And so I just kind of want to set the scene for the next six weeks. We're going to try to be really, really practical over the next six weeks of how is it that we can find God's freedom and live in God's freedom. But today, before we get to the practical stuff, I kind of want to ask this question, which is why or, or how or, or you know, kind of just set the stage for it. Because freedom is not a word we necessarily use a lot on a personal level. You know, if I were to ask you about freedom, what would you think of? You might, you might go, well, you know, the land you know, of the free, the home of the brave. We sort of think of it as, as a corporate virtue, a national virtue, something that we have. But if I were to ask you a, a different question in a different setting, which would be this, can you describe your life to me? How would you describe your life? You might describe it as saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm busy or I've got a lot of things going on or I'm or maybe you would describe it as I'm stressed, or you might say things are really great and my life's fantastic, but, but probably we wouldn't get to the word free, at least not real soon. You probably wouldn't say, well, I, I live my life as a free person. That, that word doesn't sort of enter into necessarily our personal identity, and yet I, I think that it should. Uh, and here's the reason why, is, is that's kind of the defining thing of what it means to be a Christian. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 uh, all morning. Love for you to follow along with me. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, reads this way. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. It sounds a bit redundant, right? If you've been set free, then you're living in freedom. But Paul wants to make this really, really clear. He says, For freedom Christ has set you free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Wow. Paul is saying this. He's saying, listen, Christ died on a sin. He, he came, he suffered, he died. He was resurrected, raised from the dead, so that way you could be set free. And yet, too many Christians, and it might be you, uh, we're not living lives of freedom. We're held back by a lot of different things, whether it's, it's fear or whether it's guilt over the past or whether it's uh, just our own standards for ourselves that we can't quite live up to or, or whether it's, it's a relationship that's dysfunctional or was dysfunctional. There's a lot of things that keep us in what we might call bondage. And it's not just the scary addiction kinds of things that we might think of. And so this whole series is about reclaiming the freedom which Christ has set us free for. We have been set free. Think about that. If, if you were totally free, if you were really totally free, what would you do? I mean, if you had a blank slate before you, what would you do with that? Just think about freedom for a second. What, what would you do with that freedom? You have a blank slate before you. What do you do? Now, for most of us, this is kind of a fun question to ask, but it's not a real practical question to ask, right? Because we're not all necessarily like totally free, no inhibitions, no ties, no connections, no constraints, nothing like that. Because tomorrow, you're probably going to have to go to work. You know, you can't say, well, if I was totally free, I wouldn't go to work. But tomorrow, I, I got to go to work, right? You know, so, you know, this is a fun question to ask. I mean, it might involve palm trees on the beach, kind of like in the video, but... Um, I, I don't know how practical this question is, I, except for in first service. 
I don't know, if you've ever been to first service, you know most of those folks are a little bit older. They've got some gray hair. They've kind of lived their life. They have had a chance to experience true freedom because a lot of those folks are what we call retired. That means they've worked hard and now they're not working anymore. And so at some point in their life, they got together and they said, you know what, hey, we've, we've either eked enough money together or we're just going to just do the best we can and hope, you know, hope for the best, but we're sort of done with, with all of the work. We're sort of done with all these constraints. And they've got before them this blank slate. You know, if you retire at the ideal age of, what is it, 65, now it's 70, soon it's going to be like 90, but, you know, if you retire at 65 you know, 70, you've kind of got, you know, more good years of life in front of you. Hopefully people live a little longer. And so you've kind of got a blank slate before you. What am I going to do for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And you know what I find really, really interesting with folks that are retired is you give them about a month and they kind of decompress from work and the, the hassle of the work and all that kind of thing. And you know what they often do? They often do about what they did before they were retired. They've got a blank slate before them, and yet they still sort of invest in their family. In some ways, they double down on that. They, they, they pour into their kids. They take care of their grandkids. And that's, you know, they say, well, we want to do this. This is fun. A, a lot of folks that are retired, you know, they go, man, I just got too much time on my hands. I got to do something with this time. And so they end up going to work. I mean, they're retired, and they're going to go back to work. Either they volunteer, and, and they, they show up trying to do something that's meaningful for a cause that matters to them, or they have, there's a term for this now, it's called an encore career. They, you know, their first career was so good, they, they, they want to come back and have another one. And so they have an encore career, maybe in the same kind of field or maybe a different one. But, but you get these people that have total freedom, a blank slate before them, and they choose to do what most of us have to do anyway. They choose meaningful relationships and meaningful work. Meaningful relationships and meaningful work. That's what, if we're, if we're going to try to define freedom here this morning and say, what is it that we're trying to capture or, or, or to, to get our, our hands on? I think that's what we're trying to do is to get our hands around the ability to have meaningful relationships and meaningful work. This is true freedom. This, these are the two things that existed in the garden before sin entered into the world. People could have meaningful relationships with God, with each other, and they could have meaningful work. And so when we talk about freedom, we might talk about this idea of, of having no inhibitions, no responsibilities, nothing holding us back. But when given the option, people choose to be engaged, to, to, to be connected in meaningful relationships and meaningful work. And yet there's something that keeps us from that freedom, things that hold us back whether it's lies we've told ourselves or others, or whether it is dark things like addictions or other forces that keep us from being truly open, honest, and transparent with somebody else. There's something that stops me from being free to be able to have a meaningful relationship with you, perhaps. So too do misplaced desires for wealth, fame, power, or security. They often keep us from having meaningful work. And they lock us into a job that we do just so that way we could have a little bit of fun and freedom on the weekends. And I really, really think that God wants more for us than that. I think freedom's a fragile thing, and I think it's easily destroyed through a cycle of fear, which leads to misplaced desire, and that leads to a form of tyranny. Fear leads to misplaced desire, leads to tyranny. I, 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 it, let's, let's talk about how easily we give up our freedom when it comes to being afraid. Let me give an example. I don't want to get political. I, I, don't want to, I don't want anybody to corner me in the hall afterwards and tell me this was the wrong example. I, th I think this works. In the aftermath of the Boston uh, Marathon bombings, 
uh, the, 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 the state uh, National Guard, the, 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 national, the, the state militia came, and they essentially told the entire city of Boston, you are all on curfew 24 hours a day. It is martial law. You are not allowed out of your house. You're not allowed out of your house. Because we are hunting these terrorists, we want to find these terrorists, and so we want you to stay in your homes. That's an interesting thing to do in America, where we sort of value this ability to be free, to go about and to do what we want, to come and go and to do all these kinds of things. What was even more fascinating is people that were out on the streets of Boston when the mandatory sort of curfew was in place, they said it was like a ghost town. It was like everybody had moved out of the city of Boston. Nobody was here. Nobody was on public transit. Nobody was driving the roads. Nobody was walking down the streets. Everybody was hunkered down in their house. People, because they were afraid, gave up their freedom. Now, we might in this room say, well, that was a good thing for them to do. I'm not going to argue the point. I, I, you know, I don't want to be between the police and the terrorists, and I don't want to find the terrorists by myself. So yes, I'll stay in my house. Thank you very much. I'm glad to do that. But it's interesting to me how quickly we give up freedom when we're afraid. When we give up our freedom because we're afraid, often we want something else to sort of replace that. And so we have this misplaced desire that comes. Whether that desire is maybe for security or maybe it's for more. Richard Foster says that the three things that perpetually get us is this desire for money, sex, and power. And we replace freedom with these misplaced desires. And these misplaced desires soon form, uh, uh, they control us. And I guess that is the definition of addiction, where the things that we want start to control us and we start to feel trapped and we start to, to live under the tyranny of our own desires. And then we start to sort of subject other people to our tyranny as well, where we use other people for the things that would make us happy. Now, I know that this morning you're kind of going, well, that's kind of abstract. That's kind of like way out there. Let's make this just a, a, a hair more tangible, shall we? You know, in the light of, you know, our opioid uh, drug epidemic that's going through America, you know, we all know that there's restrictions on things you can buy. You've got to show your ID if you're going to get certain cough medicines, those kinds of things. You can't uh, buy narcotic painkillers uh, over the counter at the store. They don't have like a section of Advil, Tylenol, you know, narcotics. They don't sell those uh, at Walgreens, at least not the Walgreens I go to. Um, you know, and we're sort of okay with that. But let's just say tomorrow for some reason you've got a, a senator who's just really thinks we should all be able to access narcotic painkillers whenever we want. And so they pass a bill, and now you can buy Vicodin over the counter uh, at Walgreens. And so let's just say, you know, that's, that was really fortuitous because you happen to get in a car accident, you know, maybe that same day. And you've heard from everybody, you know, that the worst pain you're going to feel is going to be the day after your car accident because that's going to be, you know, everything's going to relax, you're going to be sore, things are going to be out of line. That's when you should call, you know, the attorney, all those kinds of things. And, and so you think, man, I don't want to be hurting. And so you go to the store because you're afraid of hurting, you're afraid of the pain, and you're going to go buy yourself a bottle of Vicodin because you know that that's good stuff. At least that's what they say it's, it is on TV, and the TV wouldn't tell us something that's not true, and so we're going to go buy that. And so we get that, and we start to take that. We wake up in the morning, and we feel pretty good. You know, we go, well, I, I don't hurt. You know, I'm able to kind of move and bend and touch my toes. That stuff must really be working. And so then you start to, you keep taking it. You go, well, you know, today I feel good, but tomorrow I might feel bad. So I'm going to keep taking this. You, you go through the whole bottle. It's maybe it's been a week and you go, man, I feel good. All right. The next morning you wake up and you start to, you, you don't feel right. You go, maybe my back hurts or maybe I just, maybe I just want this, but you know, it couldn't hurt. I mean, it's over the counter, which means it's, it must be good for me, right? And so I'm going to go get some more of that. And you buy that and you start to take it. And then you start to find that you can't not have it. 
You've got to always have it. And you take it a little more regularly. And all of a sudden, it starts to control you. Friends, here's the thing, is we quickly can become a prisoner of our own desires and cravings. And it's not just a chemical addiction like that. Here's the thing. We've often thought freedom is the ability to have unlimited options. But it's not. True freedom is the ability to engage in meaningful relationships, in meaningful work, and to be free from the things that control us and free from the things that prevent us from being able to do that. Unlimited options, I think, in many ways, is just an illusion. I mean, if, if I, I've got a glass of water here, let's say I had a goldfish in there, and you know, maybe we've got some activists in the room, and they're just saying, you know, your fish is living in bondage. Set that fish free. And so I could just take that glass and I could just throw it out there and I could just free, I could free Nemo. I could just let him go. It's not going to last real long, right? I mean, I've, I've freed him. He's no longer constrained by this or she, I can never tell on goldfish. I've liberated the goldfish. But really what I've done is I've suffocated it. And that's often, I think, how it is for us. We live in a place of unlimited options and we find that often they suffocate us because we swap the things that we really want and need, and we're afraid we're going to miss out on some things, and we get trapped by all of the things that we could be doing. And so Paul's going to warn us. He's going to say, listen, I want you to guard your freedom because it is easily, easily corrupted. Let's, let's, let's read a little bit more. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. I want to just stop for a second here because Paul is, is describing a real problem for the Galatian church. The Galatian church knows that for freedom they've been set free, and yet a lot of them are sort of wrestling with their freedom. They're afraid that maybe, you know, God, you know, he wants a little bit more than he's letting on, or, or maybe they're missing out on something, maybe that would take them to a better level spiritually. And so there's a group of folks that's coming to the church at Galatians. Uh, Paul's going to call them the Judaizers. And these people are telling everybody in the church, listen, you need to become Jewish. You need to circumcise yourselves and return to the old law in order to find total freedom in Christ. And Paul says, listen, if you go back, if you substitute what you have in Christ for the law, he says, I want you to know that you are going to literally cut yourself off from grace. Because if you're going to return to the law, that's how God's going to deal with you. He said, it's for freedom you've been set free. So don't go back there. He said, that's a dead end. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. There, there it shows up again, those meaningful relationships, that meaningful work. Verse 7, you were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? Such persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough. I'm confident about you in the Lord that you will not think otherwise. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. But my friends, why am I still being persecuted if I'm still preaching circumcision? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would castrate themselves. Paul's got strong language for these folks that want to corrupt their freedom. Verse 13, he says, for you were called to freedom. Not only were you set free for freedom, Paul says, you've been called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. 
but through love become slaves to one another. There it is again, meaningful work, meaningful relationships. Verse 14, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, listen, don't let anything come in and corrupt your freedom. Freedom is one of those things that because it's free, it's like wide open, anything can grow in it. Anything can grow in it, and it grows quickly. You know, you, you introduce a little bit of legalism or a little bit of, 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 of liberty in the sense of, of a license to sin, and Paul says it's going to take over the whole thing. He says what you've got to do is you've got to guard it. He says it's like yeast inside of bread. Now, I don't do a lot of baking, and by a lot, I mean like none, but, but my wife, she's, she's done a lot of baking. Through our marriage, we go through uh, uh, cycles, cycles of, of, of where she makes bread and doesn't, and then we buy bread, and then we make bread, and then we buy bread, and right now, we're on my favorite cycle, which is we're making bread, and homemade bread really is the best. You come in, you smell it, and homemade bread is so, it's good for you. It is just good for you <laughs> in a hundred different ways. Now, I've watched my wife make bread. I, I, again, I don't do it. I like to watch it. I like to smell it. I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole process. I like how it all comes together. I, I've noticed, you know, she'll put in, she'll get the big cup, and she'll put the flour in, and some, the whole, we're in the whole wheat flour now. So we got the whole wheat, and we got some regular flour, and it's all in there. And then so we got, you know, maybe four, four cups or so sitting in the bowl. And then she gets out the spoons, just the little spoons, the little teaspoon things, and she puts the yeast in with that. I've never seen her like take a cup of yeast and put it into the bread machine. Now, I'm not sure really what would happen. It might be a fun science experiment for some of your kids looking for something to do. You could put that in there, and it might take over your kitchen. Like, it might grow. It might, like, consume the whole thing. It could easily, it could easily happen. But Paul's, he, he's kind of coming to this. He's saying, listen, you put just a little bit of that into your freedom, and it will corrupt the whole thing. What are the things he's worried about corrupting it? Well, there's two things he talks about. One is he says, don't exchange your freedom for these rules, for the circumcision is what he's talking about. He says, but don't exchange your freedom for rules or legalism or guilt. I know a lot of Christians that come to know Christ and maybe their past is kind of bad and they're trying to sort of make up for lost time. And so you should see the, the steady diet they engage of, of Christian books and Christian music and Christian movies and, and Christian groups and, and they're, they're at church, you know, more, more than Jesus and, and all of these, these things happen and, and all of a sudden, I mean, they're, kind of, they're like on a CrossFit for Jesus kind of thing, but even more so is what, is what we're looking at. And they've exchanged that freedom with a, a new set of rules in, in piety. Now, a little piety goes goes a long way, it's a good thing. But, but I think the problem is, like a lot of these folks in the church at Galatia, we might become fearful. We're afraid that God's grace is too good to be true. And anytime we think something's too good to be true, what's the first thing we say to ourselves? The first question we ask is what? It's this, it's what's the catch? All right, well, this sounds great, but what's the fine print have to say? Christ has set us free for freedom, but what do we have to do in order to get to the freedom? And we start to invent rules and regulations, and we start to make up sort of a, a spiritual ladder whereby we might attain heaven. You see, that's that cycle again. We're afraid that maybe God is playing a game with us, and so then we have this misplaced desire where we're going to try to live our lives in such a way that we've got to earn our way to heaven, and soon even our Christianity can become a tyrant over us. Paul says don't do that. Don't exchange your freedom for rules. The second thing Paul is going to say is this. Don't confuse God's freedom with slavery to sin. I know that sounds kind of like a, a funny thing to, to confuse it with, but it's true. 
I mean, we, we, it, again, it starts with fear, leads to misplaced desire, which leads to tyranny. We've got a fear of missing out. We're in the church, and we're going, man, I'm afraid I'm missing out on something better than what God's offering me. And so we start to pursue other things, and those things turn on us. Friends, here's the thing, is that anything other than serving God is going to end up being idolatry, and that's not what we were made for. You know, I, I remember taking a mission trip to Mexico when I was in high school, and uh, to go to Mexico, you've got to go through the border, and it was a little, little bit easier to do it back then, but you had to go through the border, you had to go through the check, and we got in there late at night, and if you've ever been on a mission trip to Mexico, it's pretty spartan, they, they, they have a secured dirt area where you pitch a tent, um, and you kind of set up shop there, and that's where you live, not a lot of uh, creature comforts, no running water, nothing like that. And so we got there pretty late at night because we'd driven. We got through the border. Now we're there. We're setting up in the dark. And we've got a tent. I've got a tent. I've got tent stakes. And I've got ground. But the thing I don't have is a hammer. And a hammer is pretty important because it's windy and you don't want your stuff to blow away. And there's no rocks because they've removed all those so it's comfortable to sleep. The only thing I had that was kind of hard enough to hit anything with was a flashlight. One of those steel, heavy-duty metal flashlights. It's a tool for all seasons. And so I took that, and I used that, and I put, put this tent up, drove everything in, and I remember looking at that the next morning, and I thought, man, I really beat the, the tar out of this thing. You know, it worked, it did the job, but if you keep doing that enough, guess what's going to happen? It's going to break. You see, that's how we are in our lives, is God's made us to worship Him, to love Him, to be engaged in, in meaningful relationships and meaningful work, but when we sort of swap that around and pursue our own interests, or, or we start to serve ourselves, what we're doing is we're using our lives, our souls, our bodies, our minds in a way that's not consistent with the manufacturer's intent, and you do that long enough and you'll destroy it. Hammer doesn't do much to uh, light up the night or to show you the way in the dark, but it does a lot for driving in tent stakes. Same thing with a flashlight. Same thing with your life. We're, we're, anything else we swap out, we end up in slavery to sin. And so what we want to claim is this, is that true freedom is rooted in God's love. That's where we want to end up, and that's what the study's about. Paul is going to remind the Galatians, and he's going to remind us, us that we have been set free for freedom. We have been set free to love, to have these meaningful relationships, to make a meaningful contribution. And all of this starts with God's love. It's God's love that sent Jesus Christ to the world to die for our sins, to set us free. It's God's love that comes and fills us when we don't have enough love to go around. It's God's love that, that's going to enable us as we go through the study the next few weeks to look into our hearts and our lives and our past and uncover some of that stuff that's kind of ugly. It's going to be God's love that's going to help us to do that. Now, I know in this room we've got some folks here that you're saying, man, I don't really feel free in Christ. I, I hope it's my prayer that you will. And what that's going to mean over the next six weeks is it's going to be a little bit of honesty. It's going to be kind of messy. But I would say this, lean into the love of God and ask God to show you what you're afraid of. What is the thing that's leading you into slavery? Ask God for courage to face your fears, whether it's the fear of your past or the fear of your future or the fear of this present moment. Say, God, will you help me to have the courage to face that? God, will you help me have the awareness to, to look at all the stuff that's holding me back? Maybe there's some things that are controlling me right now that I'm not even aware of. God, would you give me the wisdom to see that? And God, would you give me the power through your Spirit to denounce those things, to turn to Christ and to, to claim the freedom that you've got for me? And I'll tell you, I think one of the best things you could do is be in a freeway group to kind of encourage each other to do that. 
One of the things I really want us to do on Sunday morning is to tell our stories of freedom in Christ. And so if you're here this morning, and, and as I'm talking about this, you resonate with that, and you're like, man, I, I, I know what he's talking about. I've experienced freedom in Christ. I'd love for you to tell us about that. I'd love for you to email uh, us your story at mystory@bowlinggreenchristian.org, and we'll th- we're going to share these stories anonymously, but we want to share stories of how God is setting people free. Because here's the thing, is that recovering true freedom is a really scary step, and it's one that I think we're afraid of. Because at the end of the day, I think we might be afraid of God. And, and so this morning, whether you've never accepted the gift of freedom, and, and what you're thinking to yourself is, well, you know, I, I, I understand sort of theoretically that God wants to offer me freedom. Or maybe you've had the gift of freedom, but you've had to experience it like a hundred times because you've exchanged your freedom for something else. I want you to know that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free and that he's given you that gift and he wants you to use that gift. How many of you have ever given a gift? We had five people that had given a gift in first service. It's like there's, there's a few more. Some of you have never given a gift. Let me tell you what that's like. Um, you see somebody else that you love normally, and what you do is you either buy or make something, and you just you, you, it's in your possession, and you transfer it to their possession. It's a gift. You just give it to them, and you don't expect anything in return. It's not like a contract. It's not an exchange. It's just like, this is my empty communion cup, and then I would give it to you, and that would be your empty communion cup. And if I wanted it, I'd have to ask you for it because I've actually given it to you. Now, for those of you that have given a gift, uh, the best thing, the best compliment that a gift can ever get paid is to use it, right? I mean, if you give somebody a tool, you want to see them use the tool. If you give somebody a sweater, you want to see them wear the sweater, not like wash their car with the sweater. You know, this sweater is so absorbent. It's so nice. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see, you want to see them use the gift. That's what you want to see them do. Uh, for Christmas, we, we got Caleb a Rubik's Cube. It's like now permanently like embedded in his hand. I've never seen anybody solve these things so fast. He's playing with it all the time. And you know what? That warms my heart because it was a gift. We gave it to him. He's using it. It'd make me sad if it was under his bed collecting dust or in the back of a drawer or, or one of those kinds of things. He's using it. I like this. Here's the thing. God has set you free for freedom. God has given you the gift of freedom, and nothing would warm his heart more than for you to use the gift of freedom. But here's the problem. We get this gift of freedom, and we think, man, this is a really nice gift. I don't want to break it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of shrink wrap it. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to put it in a box. I'm going to guard it with rules. I'm going to guard it with regulations. And I'm going to make sure that I never use this gift of freedom because if I were to use this gift of freedom, then I might break the gift of freedom. And so we sort of wrap the gift of freedom up and we put it up on a shelf and we say, I'm not ever going to touch that gift because I'm afraid that I might break it. Others of you, maybe you've got a different approach to that gift. You said, man, freedom, this is great. And so you went out and you used it exactly what Paul talked about earlier. You used it as a license to sin and you found yourself trapped by the thing that you were set free from and you found yourself trapped back there again. And maybe you've done this a few times. Whether it's the first or whether it's the hundredth, I want you to know God has given you this gift of freedom. Christ has set you free for freedom and he wants to see you use that gift. So don't settle for anything less. Albert uh, Wood Fox, he holds America's record for being incarcerated in solitary confinement the longest. He spent 43 years, almost without pause, in an isolation cell. From his cell, he had no view of the sky. 
he was allowed exercise periodically uh, in a small area, but he spent most of his time in a six-by-nine-foot box. That was what he, that's where he lived by himself 43 years. He was let out uh, last year, and a reporter caught up with him. He had just celebrated his 69th birthday when he was set free from solitary confinement. And a reporter caught up with him on the beach of Galveston, Texas. And if you've been to the beach, you know it is this huge expanse of sky. It's, you know, the sky above, the horizon is way beyond, you know, anything that you could imagine. And they're just saying, what do you think about freedom and, and what, what's it like? And he said this, he said, you know, there are times I wish I was back in my cell. He said, you know, human beings feel more comfortable in areas that, they are, that they've secured. In a cell, you have a routine. You pretty much know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. But in society, it's difficult. It's looser. But here's the really interesting thing. If you said, well, would you like to go back? The answer would be no. And yet so often we've sort of eked out our own existence in, in isolation cells of our own construction not experience the freedom of God, and yet we've sort of tricked ourselves into thinking that that's the best we can do. This morning, I want you to know that God, that Christ has come. He has set you free for freedom. Don't exchange that for anything else. And so throughout this series, we're going to give you opportunities to respond to that, to come forward, to experience the freedom that's found in Christ. Whether you're receiving Christ for the very first time, and you're going to be baptized into him and start your new life of freedom with him, or whether it's the 100th time, and you're going to say, man, I've had freedom so many times, and yet I keep exchanging it for something else. It is my prayer that at the end of this, this six-week series that you would experience the freedom that Christ sets you free for. And this morning, if you say, man, I'm ready. I don't want to wait six weeks. That's fine. We invite you to come forward today. But before we do that, I'd like to pray. Bow your heads with me. Gracious Lord, I thank you so much for your word that reminds us of this incredible truth that Christ has set us free for freedom. And so one of the first words that we should think about in our life is that we are free. And so God, for everybody here, myself included, that is tempted and often does exchange freedom for something else, I pray that you'd give us the courage to put that aside and to step into that true freedom that liberates us to have the meaningful relationships that aren't haunted by, by guilt or, or, or fear, any of those sorts of things, and that allows us to do meaningful work and contributions for you. God, you've set us free for that. And so, Lord, for everybody here, everybody that's in a group, everybody that's going to be going through the study with us, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them to experience that true freedom in their life. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, if you have a decision to make, to receive the gift of freedom, we're going to invite you to come forward. Uh, if you are here this morning and you're saying, man, I, I want to become a member of Bowling Green Christian Church, I'm ready to make that commitment uh, to be engaged in meaningful work and service with uh, serving here, we'll invite you to come forward. If you're, if you're here this morning and this has just kind of rocked your world and you say, man, I really just kind of need somebody to pray with me. Uh, Brian Schreiner, one of our elders, Beth, his wife, uh, leads our prayer group. They're going to be down here on the front row. They would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. So don't leave here this morning until you've at least experienced a step down the road to freedom. So why don't you stand and we'll sing.